You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Happy Monday, everybody. It's a gorgeous Monday here in Northeast Ohio. The sun is shining. There is not a cloud in the sky for, from where I am currently sitting. A beautiful day, at least on the west side where Chris and I are. And it's another Monday, so it's another edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. As always, I am joined by Chris Fedor. Chris, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, brother, but I don't know if it's as gorgeous as you're making it sound. It's still only like 50 degrees out. Well... Okay, to me, to honestly, and this is this, I mean, this is a personal preference. Yeah. I would, I would, I don't care about the temperature unless it's like, like less than 30. If the sun is out and there's not a cloud in the sky, I love it. Okay. I'm a so big, just... blue, I'm a big blue sky guy. If there's blue sky, in, if there's blue in the sky, I'm happy. Oh my gosh. All right. I need it to be a little bit warmer. But, well, uh... I'm, and I'm also sitting in an area right now. I'm sitting right outside of my apartment on a bench. I'm socially distant, but also there's a, um, the sun is directly pointed upon me. So it probably feels more like 60, yeah. 65. Yeah. Than, I got ten fifty. Well, the other problem is apparently when you're in Bay village, uh, which is where we are and you're yeah. semi close to the lake, though you get the lake. Yes. It's about 10 degrees colder than it usually is in most places. Yes, that is true. I don't, and I, there is something about the elevation or something along those lines. But I think just being closer to the water, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I but do. Love it is. The, it is bright and sunny. So yes. given given that it was snowing just a couple of days ago, I think we'll take it. Oh yeah, definitely have to take it. I mean, it is like April twentieth, um, <laughs> and I don't. You know, it's kind of ridiculous that we had snow, but beggars can't be choosers, I guess. But Chris. Want to jump in? We're going to have a very, very fun episode today. We're going to talk mostly about some, um, mostly about last night's last dance episode, and we're going to. Yeah. We're, we're probably going to spend a lot of time talking about that because that's pretty yeah. much the only, the only NBA real time thing going on right now. Um, and then we're going to talk about some of our favorite players growing up. But first, uh, you just put out a piece, and we've talked a lot about this. Um, you can find it at uh, cleveland.com. It's a Hey Chris column, so you can send in your questions to Chris Fedor, and he will answer them. And in this column, basically, um, he's talking about the small forward position, um, where the Cavaliers have struggled with Jetty Osman, where they have also, um, you know, where they're also going to be looking at, at players in the NBA draft. We've talked about Denny Avia many times. So um, better, much better, yes, better. Good. Thank you. I've been working much better. <laughs> Denny Avdia. And uh, so tell us a little bit about some of the questions you were asked. I see here there's a there is one about the uniforms. So, well, no, there's one about Dylan Windler and Cavs uniform. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the thing that so many people are wondering, Hayden, is just about small forward, because. For the last two years, Jetty has been the starter there. But but I think everybody recognizes that if this organization is going to take the next step, if they're going to get close to the P word, and Colin Sexton has brought up playoffs, and J.B. Bickerstaff has brought up playoffs, you have to get starter quality at different positions throughout your roster. And that doesn't just mean in the starting lineup, necessarily. It could mean coming off the bench. Maybe you have a starting quality six-man or something along those lines. But if you start to break it down and you start to look at where the Cavs have to go, like you can say Colin Sexton is a starting quality shooting guard in the NBA. He proved that this year. He was in the middle of the best run of his life uh, for about two plus months 
when the league decided to shut down. Um, so you feel good about that spot. Um, power forward Kevin Love. No, he's not an all-star anymore. I don't think he can be a focal point of an offense anymore. He's probably like a three um, in terms of option on an offense, on a championship caliber or playoff contending team. And he's not that here. He has to be maybe a one or a two option. Um, But he's still starter quality at that particular position. You're fine if Kevin Love is going to be your starting power forward. You're good at center because you have Andre Drummond and you added him at the trade deadline. And then you start looking at two other positions, point guard and small forward. And point guard's glaring, but there are some circumstances surrounding that. Darius Garland being so young, Darius not having much experience during his rookie season. So you look at the season that he had, Hayden, and you're like, okay, there are reasons behind that. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass. I'm going to give him a longer leash. Jetty Osman, he just completed basically year three in the NBA. And yes, he's still young and he's still relatively inexperienced. But you got enough information, I think, about what he can do, what he can't do to say this guy's better off coming off the bench. And that's the spot that really stands out, that internal improvements have to be made or external improvements have to be made for the Cavs to really push forward. Because we're talking about premier position in the NBA, the small forward spot, the wing spot. That's where George is. That's where Kawhi is. That's where LeBron James is. That's where Giannis was. That's where KD is. So until you fix that spot, it's going to be really, really hard for me to determine that the Cavs can take that next step as an organization. So, Chris, I'm going to ask you point blank. I mean, what would you do if you're the Cavaliers about the small forward position? I mean, you know, we talked about the draft. We talked about um, Dylan Windler, who obviously hasn't played at all, but could potentially be in their plans. But what do we know? What is he? So what would you do at this point um, if you were Kobe Altman and the Cavaliers front office looking to solidify that spot going forward? So that's the thing, Hayden. It's not necessarily like they're just sitting on their hands or they haven't tried to address it, right? Right. I mean, they used a first-round pick on Dylan Windler. They were really excited about Dylan. Uh, John Beeline, when he was the head coach, really pushed for somebody like Dylan because of his basketball IQ, because of his floor spacing, because of his shooting, because of his rebounding from a wing spot. There are a lot of things that the Cavs really liked about him, and he was further along in his progression and in his development than somebody like Darius Garland and Kevin Porter Jr. Because, you know, he had a number of over 100 games under his belt in college at Belmont. And no, it wasn't against top, top, top level competition, but he was further along than some of these other rookies. And the Cavs felt like this was somebody who was going to push Jetty for the starting small forward spot. And maybe midway through the season, he was going to take Jetty's small forward spot. But then he got hurt at the beginning of training camp. He didn't participate in training camp in preseason. And every time everybody started to get excited about a potential Dylan debut, he had a setback and he never was able to debut. So you have that kind of hanging over this franchise going into this offseason is, hey, we used a first round pick to try and upgrade that spot. And then there's some conversation going on internally about can Kevin Porter Jr. play the three? Now, if he could if he was a little bit stronger, if he got more physical during this downtime and maybe during this offseason, maybe the Cavs can get away with him at the three and then he can be the long-term solution. The problem with that, Hayden, is there are now people in the organization, based on what they saw from KPJ in his rookie season, that feel like he's going to be a better fit long-term at the two spot. So if you're starting to look at in that kind of way, maybe he's not as much the option as the three, the future three that some people thought he was going to be when the Cavs drafted him. So there are internal options, which is what I laid out in this piece, including Larry Nance Jr. If you want to go super big in the front court, um, because Larry's got some skills uh, when it comes to perimeter game. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's got the three point shot. He can handle it a little bit. So there are internal options, but I think every single one of those options, Hayden, will will lead you to a different question. And that's the last thing that you want, because you're already asking questions about Jetty. 
Yeah, and, and in this you know era of positionless basketball where guys are learning to do more things and, and positions are kind of you know helter-skeltered where they're not really necessarily always going to be set, I think, you know, if you're the Cavaliers, you have you do have a lot of kind of versatility between a lot of players. You have a lot of guards. You have a lot of big men. I mean, yes, you don't have that solid three, but you do have options in the way to kind of, you know, find a guy potentially to fit that spot. And, right. you know, well, again, we'll see what Dylan Windler ends up being. We'll see. You know, I, that's the thing. It's just like he is st- he's still going to be a rookie next year. He never even played a game. And it's yeah. not something that. You know, sometimes you draft a guy expecting them to not play a game because they're just that good and they dropped that far or whatever and because of an injury. But in this case, you know, he, they were, he was a first-round pick and he was ready to roll until the season started. And now you've had this whole end-of-season thing. So it's just it's going to be very interesting to see what comes of Dylan Windler. And the other problem here, Hayden, is, okay, so let's say the Cavs look at small forward and they say that's a big issue. You know, we're not comfortable with our internal options because of all the reasons that we laid out. Um, It's not like the draft is going to provide that answer for them. Right. If you look at the top of the draft, it's guards and it's bigs. There is a dearth of small forward options. Like there's this kid from Washington, Jaden McDaniels, who a lot of people around the NBA, including the Cavs, were excited about going into this season. He wasn't very good for Washington. And all of a sudden you're talking about somebody, a high level recruit that goes from that to maybe borderline lottery because he was so bad. Well, the Cavs aren't going to be picking around there unless they trade back. Um, And then Denny Avdia, that's the only guy I think um, that you could even consider if the Cavs were to get a high draft pick. But there are legitimate questions about him, and we've gone over those on the podcast as well. So the the top tier of, of players in this draft, it would seem LaMelo Ball, uh, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, two guards and a big man. So that's not really the path for the Cavs to really improve small forward unless lottery fortune goes against them and they fall to four, five, or six in this year's draft. And maybe they're more in the wheelhouse of one of those kinds of guys and maybe even like Isaac Okoro of Auburn. And then free agency, we talked about it last week. They're not going to have a ton of money in free agency. And if they do, it's not like there are um, those kinds of players available because everybody in the NBA, Hayden, Everybody is looking for that kind of player that we're talking about, a three and D perimeter wing. And um, either those guys are going to be out of the Cavs price range completely or um, the guys available uh, are not going to make sense based on where the Cavs are in terms of this rebuild and in terms of their development. You know, it's funny is that LaMelo Ball probably has the size. I mean, he's small, but he has the size and he's just but that's not the game that he plays. It's not, and he's not known as a defender. Like, if you right. had somebody like LaMelo who had um, who had people talking about maybe he's got the potential to be this two-way type player, then you could say, all right, we can play him at point guard, like what Philadelphia does with Ben Simmons, right. and we could just, like, bounce him around between the one, two, three, and four and feel like we're cool from a defensive standpoint. But defense has to be a priority for this organization at some point in time. And he's not known for defense. And because there are questions about him defensively, if you were to draft him, it would be hard to play him at that spot um, on the defensive end in cross matches because he's just not that kind of player. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you had Lamella Ball at the top of your list for the top right. five, you know, most. What did you, the top five, was it the top five players that the Cavaliers should draft? Yes. Okay, so, I mean, again, I think things could change. He could obviously develop, um, but as you mentioned, he's not known for his defense. Kind of not really known. <laughs> what did you say? His shot was broken? Somebody said, somebody was. Yes, somebody, somebody that you know, I talked to said that the shot was, that broke. was broken. So. You know, it doesn't really fit well in regards to maybe a, a, a three uh, in the NBA. But I know who somebody was who definitely could have been a three option, probably would have been the three for this Cavaliers team, and that is Scotty Pippen. Do you like this transition, Chris? <laughs> Very nice. Really well done. Professional. <laughs> yes, professional. So, <laughs> so last night, Scotty, speaking of Scotty Pippen, last night, um, the premiere, the two-episode premiere of ESPN's 10-part documentary, 
The Last Dance. Um, I mean, first of all, this is a documentary about Michael Jordan. This is a documentary about the 98 Bulls, a documentary about, um, you know, all the things that happened from MJ's beginning to his end and everything in between. But last night was kind of what set to What are you tell- doing, by the way? Are you typing or something? No. It sounds like crackling every time you make any kind of sound. I'm, really? I don't know what no. you're doing. I don't know either. I have my headphones <laughs> in to, to, for better audio. Are you, like, waving your head back and forth or something like not, that when you're not, talking? Not that I know of. All right. Now that you mention it, now I can hear it. Uh, of course you can. I think everybody can hear it. What the heck are you doing? I don't know. Maybe, here, maybe I'll take my headphones off. Yeah, Let's do that. See. Okay. See, see what that does. Is this better? Yes, that's better. You okay. know what it is. I'm telling you exactly what it is. It's you have the headphones in and you're bouncing your head back and forth. There's, yes, or something like that. You're just like too much movement. All right, that sounds I guess better. So. All right, we're better now. Yeah. So last night, The Last Dance, part one and part two. I mean, obviously, it, I just saw something on Twitter that said it was the highest watched documentary footage on television ever? Uh, no, ESPN's. Oh, ESPN's, okay. Yes, okay. and they do a lot of documentaries. Everybody yes. knows that. Oh, they do, yes. And apparently they have a lot more in the works in regards to um, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, which would be an amazing one. I was a huge fan of both of those guys when I was little, you know, during their home run um, chase or whatever. But last night, obviously, was super exciting because of the time that we're in. It gave some fans something to look forward to. So, Chris, first of all, what were your takeaways from the first two episodes um, as you watched last night, or you, maybe you watched today. I don't know. Maybe you found time to DVR it or something. No, man, I watched last night. It was fantastic. It was so well done. Um, trying to think of the two things that really stood out to me the most. Okay. So one thing that really stood out to me is just how different the game is. And I knew that it was going to be that way, but the two games that they showed MJ against the Boston Celtics, 63 and 49 in the playoffs his yes. first playoff experience and he didn't take a single three-pointer yeah think about that i mean that's just how different the game is and the other thing is you had this young kid in the playoffs for the first time against the best team in the nba at that point and he had them shook oh absolutely completely shook and and they didn't win obviously they got swept by the celtics but he had those guys shook talking about him as the best player that was on the floor during that series. And that was a series where he shared the court with a couple of different Hall of Famers that were further along in their career. So those were two things that really, really stood out to me. And it makes you understand why his mystique has lasted decades. So there were obviously a ton of things to stick out to me and to everybody, really. But there were the, the, I'll, I'll mention a couple. And it's more than two. One, I did not know that MJ started to play before the three-point line was invented. <laughs> You're so young. This is unbelievable. I know. I know. Like, I didn't realize that when MJ started, they didn't have a three-point line. Like, obviously, I knew he shot three-pointers. So I was like, oh, well, he probably. But no, I mean, that probably shaped his game, not having the three-point line, not having to worry about shooting from you know, beyond the arc. I mean, he wasn't known as a great three-point shooter because he didn't have to worry about it. I mean, why would you shoot from farther away if there was no incentive at that time? Yeah. So that was definitely something that I took away. Um, number two, the Scotty Pippen contract. I don't remember that. And that is incredible to me. The seven years, 18 million. Oh and, my God. And, and like, and everybody's ripping on the GM of the bulls and Reinsdorf. And, and I'm like, that's one of the best moves any GM or any front <laughs> office has ever made in the history of any sport. Like, are you kidding me? Seven years, 18 million for arguably one of the top five, 10 greatest players to ever play the game. I mean, that is a ridiculously good contract and it's an amazing contract. And it's probably what helped that bulls team to be yes. as dominant as they were yes. because it, it gave them so much flexibility. I mean, you look at the amount of players they brought in around Michael, you know, the different guys and, and like Dennis Rodman, Horace Grant, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible contract for the Bulls. But, yeah, it stunk for Scotty. Um, and, and I totally understand why Scotty would be upset. But, and right, then but I it guess, was his fault for signing that contract. And it was his that, agent's that, fault for it, signing that, that contract. In fact, that, 
That is 100% correct. I mean, Reinsdorf even said during the documentary, we told him it was a bad deal. Yes, he did. Yes, he absolutely did. <laughs> and not right. to sign that kind of contract, not to go that deep into a contract. And think about it. Not a lot of guys nowadays, Hayden, if you think about where the game is today versus where it was then, a lot of guys now are more willing to bet on themselves yes. with these one plus one deals or these two plus one deals. And the other thing that really stood out to me, you had one of the elite players in the NBA demand a trade and the organization didn't budge. No. You know what I mean? Think about nowadays in the NBA, when you hear the grumblings about a player being unhappy, what happens? More than likely More that guy likely is getting traded. traded. Yes. You know, but it does remind me of J.R. Smith. Didn't J.R. Smith ask for a trade? Or was that yeah. more of just like, and he, I mean, and he, they couldn't find one and he just, they just paid him to not play. <laughs> oh, yes. It's a little so, bit different. It's a little yeah, bit a little different bit, right. when J.R. Smith right. Right. A little different compared to Scottie Pippen. Yes. Right. But Scottie Pippen did get traded the next year to the Houston Rockets. So there's right. that. Um, right. But it wasn't immediate. It's not, you know, in a case of right. Kyrie Irving, it was a little right. bit different, right? In the case of, I'm trying to think who else demanded a trade recently and then it was granted right away. Uh, can't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, Kawhi. Oh, Kawhi right, was right, right. Front of yep. San Antonio, and he was one of the best players in the NBA at the time, and he still is one of the best players in the NBA. Oh, absolutely. And they were willing to deal him. All right, I have another takeaway from last night. So when they were asking about Michael to the guys that you know, the guys in the league. Yes. You know, when he was drafted, they're like, "Well, he's not seven foot. He's not big. He can't. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, he can't play." <laughs> And every and I was just like, oh my god, that's how much the game has changed. Like back then, if you were seven foot and you can move, or you were six ten and you can move, I mean, you just had a leg up on so many other guys. Yes, I mean, build the Bill Waltons of the world, Hakeem and Sam Bowie were one and two. I mean, that was the era of, in which if you were just big and you could get to the rim and you could, you know, just get the ball over everybody, that you would be better. And Mike yes. completely changed the game. And you know what's hilarious is, um, I remember. What year was it? Eh. It was a couple of years ago when the Cavs were going into the postseason and it was Boston with Isaiah Thomas. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and going into that postseason, we were talking to one of the members, a bunch of us that cover the team. We're talking to one of the members of the front office just about which teams concerned them the most. Yeah. Um, and. I brought up Boston just because I was like, hey, look, you know, they're well coached. They're pretty, playing really well as a team. Um, they've got 50 plus wins or whatever it was at the time. And the member of the front office looked at me and just laughed. He laughed hysterically. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, they have Isaiah. Are you kidding me? Nobody's worried about Isaiah. So... It's funny because, like, the players nowadays that GMs and coaches are worried about are the ones like Jordan. Yeah. The elite wings that can shift a series landscape. LeBron, Kawhi, KD, Paul George. Like, those kinds of players concern teams more. Um, and it's funny that you bring that up because back in the day, the belief was those kinds of players couldn't shift a series that same kind of way. Right. And like, and, and it seemed, I mean, from, I would get, I guess I would have to go back and look, but it seemed like Olajuwon was far and away the top pick. Like there was not oh, a yeah. discussion about it. That's like, what it MJ, seemed like. MJ was not going to be the top pick, even though he was the best, like, you know, and there were a bunch of guys saying this guy is the best player in the country. Like he's the best player we've ever seen. He's the best. He's great. He's amazing. And there was probably no, no question that just because Hakeem was so good in college and, and so tall and so i mean he just he was obviously going to be the number one pick and i mean i guess it ended up being a good pick right i think that you know, oh yeah i don't think anybody was up too upset about hakeem but if you had the chance to get mj i mean you know that's a whole that's a game changer uh by the way portland yeah. has now had a chance to get michael jordan and kevin, and durant. kevin durant yeah <laughs> yeah they and they went with the big guy both times yes they did poor greg Oden, and it's another one injuries and uh yeah yeah I mean, yeah. I rem yeah, I remember the debate going into the draft. Is this going to be another Sam Bowie situation? That's exactly what happened. So right. it's tough. But um, one more thing that I was um, that I noticed about the um, I mean, obviously, you hear the stories about Michael's competitive drive 
Um, I didn't, you know, you do hear stories about like the MJ, the flu game being a hangover. Like you hear about like Michael partying, but I was surprised like when he, when he got to the bulls and he was the rookie, you know, when he went into the room and there's, you know, all this drugs and stuff, he was out of it. Like, I think that's probably part of the reason that he was, you know, that he became who he became because at least at the beginning, he was pretty like straight laced and, you know, you know, didn't want to engage in the riffraff and, and, I think that that definitely set the tone for who he became as an NBA player. Without a doubt. Um, that's who he was at his core. Yeah. And kudos to him for staying true to that. Because some guys could get caught up in that, right? They feel like they have to fit in. Um, they're trying to make buddies in the locker room. Uh, they don't know any better. So kudos to him for staying true to who he was. You know what else really stood out to me, Hayden? Is that the number of people uh, that played against him that were willing to just throw praise on him immediately. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It yeah, just was, doesn't yeah. seem like that happens nowadays. No. no. It's all like, hey, it's, I don't know if it's just, I, and I think, honestly, I think probably part of that is because of MJ. Like, MJ had that com- competitive spirit that no one else in the NBA has ever, I mean, maybe now, but I mean, back then, you know, they always talk about the eye of the tiger and just right. like that killer instinct, and that was MJ. That's you know, they talked about that in the podcast or in the documentary last night that nobody had the competitiveness uh, that MJ had. And he said it came from his brother and playing, you know, playing against his brother growing up. And, uh, you know, I think that that kind of mindset, that that kind of Mamba mentality came from MJ to Kobe and then Kobe to guys like Kyrie and Kawhi. I mean, you know, and LeBron kind of to a degree as well, a little bit of both. I think mm-hmm. it all started with that competitive drive from. MJ, but I bet back in the day, yeah, you're talking about Michael Jordan, or excuse me, not Michael Jordan, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, Larry Bird. I mean, so many players that played against him that were just willing to be like, yep, yeah, he he's had best. It and he was so great. Yeah, yep, yep, he's the best. He's the best. I, I, I mean, today, in today's day and age, you do see a lot of guys sticking up for LeBron and, and what he, you know, is able to do, but there are also a lot of haters. And I don't know if MJ really has any haters in that way. I'm not sure that he does. Like, I don't know. I've been trying to think about this, um, and I'm not getting into the GOAT debate. I am absolutely not. No, no, we're not doing that, no. But when you're, but when you're having that debate, when you're having that debate, um, like, I don't know what the criticism is against Michael. You know what I'm saying? Like, to your point, I don't even know what you say. Like, um, I mean, against Michael. He was a jerk? <laughs> no, no, like, I think... I mean, you could, I, no, I don't, I think there's an argument, I think the only arguments are, well, we don't want, I don't want to get into the, the no, that's bit, what I'm saying, but yeah. if you're criticizing the guy, or if you're holding something against him, or no, if you're trying to break up the two in comparison, like, what do you say? There is nothing that is said. There is that thing that lingers when it comes to LeBron, right? But it's not like that with Jordan, and I couldn't even think in my head when I was watching that documentary like, what is what is the thing that you would go to when you're having that kind of debate? Yeah. There's nothing that stands out to me. The only thing is he was, well, based on what we're probably going to see in this documentary, he was a bit of a jerk to his teammates, and he was very, very hard on his teammates, trying to get the most out of them. Right. Well, and I'm sure there have been teammates of LeBron's that would say the same thing. But, yeah, yes. no, I mean, right. Yeah. But I, but he also last night, like I said, he praised Scotty. He said there isn't that you don't speak Michael Jordan without speaking Scotty Pippen. I mean that's 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 pretty much the legacy. And I was, you know, Scotty Pippen reminded me of Anthony Davis, like with that growth spurt. You know, when they said he grew from what six one to six eight, six nine in like a year or something. I mean yep. that reminded me of like the Anthony Davis growth spurt, where you know Anthony Davis was getting recruited by Cleveland State, and then all of a sudden ends up. <laughs> seven foot and is going to Kentucky, you know, it's just, it's crazy how these growth spurts can happen. And it's um, like, I, and it, I also another takeaway of mine, they had two, two former presidents on the broadcast. Or yes, on the documentary, I know. They sure one did. of which, one of which they referred to as former Chicago residents. <laughs> <laughs> like goodness gracious, man. Like not, not former Senator, not former, you know, Bull, not like President Bulls fan, like just former Chicago resident. <laughs> like, thank you. Yes, we all are very aware that that Barack Obama 
was a Chicago resident. Yeah, I don't think anybody was going to stop and be like, well, why is he talking about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls? No, well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, just mention like pre- like Bull- President Bulls fan. I mean, whatever. President Bulls. Fan. President Co- President Semicolon Bulls fan. It's not that hard. <laughs> because I remember multiple times during, you know, he, he's a big hoops fan. He always mentioned he Michael, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, you know, one, one more take. And we could just talk takeaways for days that, I mean, last night. It, did it was just so me, great, man. Yeah, so it, did great. Rem, it did remind me a little bit of how it was covering LeBron. Like, the amount of reporters in the locker room yep. and the amount of people in his face and the amount of fanfare and the amount of people that surrounded him. I thought it was funny. Too. <laughs> and this is more probably for us when um, the guy was putting on his microphone and then asked him for an autograph. <laughs> oh, yes. That was, that was amazing. It's probably, probably where the rules started to come from. <laughs> Not only that, there was the armband, and he was basically taking it off Michael's arm so that he could have it. That was awesome. Yes, the, the, the opponent, right? Yeah. That was Jersey. Well, the, well, Michael wanted nothing to do with his jersey. The guy just wanted the armband. <laughs> Oh my God! That was, uh, you know what else? I the, there was one thing that I didn't like, only okay. one thing. Okay. They were so, and and maybe they had to be because they were capturing the mood of of Michael and Scotty and and how they viewed Jerry Krause. But oh my yeah. gosh, they were they ruthless. Him. Yeah. And I already and I already told you. I said I that contract is absolutely necessary. And you look at what Krause did. I mean. That contract is incredible for the Bulls. It's probably what allowed them to do what they wanted to do. Um, and he put the get together great teams. And Steve Kerr said it like, yeah, he got in his own way. But he right. made some damn good moves to make a damn good team and a dynasty that will m- probably never be competed with. I mean, yes. unless the Warriors, you know, s- get back next year and go on another run of four straight and three finals or whatever. But, I mean, right. yeah, Kr- Kraus was, I mean, he, I think he was, I don't know if he was unfairly portrayed, but just like the amount of like that they just ripped on him. I think they were probably coming from it from Michael and Scotty's perspective because they both seemed to not like him. Right. And he was what, two time executive of the year, something along those lines. There was a reason why they got Scotty. So like, yes, he had Jordan and he was very fortunate to have Jordan. And when you have that centerpiece it becomes easier to build a team around that guy. And he's right. not the same executive without him. But he also, he had to bring in Rodman. He had to bring in Scotty. Yeah. Um, all the other moves that, that like brought them together as a team, like <laughs> somebody had to do that, right? Right. Like, well, yeah. I mean, it they just re- happened because of Michael right. Jordan. Michael Jordan didn't just like go out and recruit all those guys and play general right. manager. So it, it just obviously they were trying to get the tone across based on from the perspective of Jordan and Scotty. But right. my goodness, they were ruthless against well, that guy. The thing, and the thing, too, with Scotty was that, you know, they didn't draft him. They they made a move to go out right. and get him like they saw. He Kraus saw like said he wanted Scotty. And like it wasn't like, oh, he was a throw in second round pick that ended up being great. You know, I'm not saying the Draymond Green, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect Draymond Green, but I think when they drafted Draymond Green, they weren't like, oh, this guy's going to be a core piece on a dynasty. I mean, that's kind of what I feel like, okay, they went out and they wanted Scottie Pippen to be a a great piece next to Michael. And I think Jerry Krause deserves credit for that. Yeah, I would agree. But it just kind of goes to show the kind of guy that he is. And sometimes that matters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, but somebody compared him to the uh, one of the the like the manager of the Monstars. He kind of looks like. <laughs> did you see that? I did not see that. No. So like, yeah, the guy. I don't. I don't remember. But one like the the coach of the Monstars or the, the owner of the whatever. He, however, he's portrayed in the in the movie. Kind of has kind of a bigger guy and kind of like has his pants written written up to like his chest, and that's kind of what Jerry Krause looked like. It was pretty funny. I don't know if that's like a if that was a real comparison that they made and while making the movie or what but i didn't see that one i saw the comparison of jerry jones floating around on twitter last night okay there you go and i get that that. sometimes these guys do get in their own way this all reminds me so lebron obviously has started making space jam 2 i wonder like has he like i don't know where is that at right now 
yeah, I don't I know. I guess it doesn't matter, but that's, I mean, I just, that just randomly hit my mind because of Space Jam. But tying those two together, Chris, here's another segue for you. Ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. So LeBron James, Space Jam 2, Michael Jordan, the original Space Jam. With that said, Chris and I were probably born in somewhere, or we, we were following the NBA somewhere in the middle of those two, right? Like, right. you were born, you were, you're in your 30s, I'm in my late 20s. Semi-late 20s, I guess I should say. <laughs> I'm trying to keep myself as young as possible. Yeah. And uh, we grew up in the area of the NBA, probably mostly the 2000s, maybe a little into the 2010s before we started working. So we thought it'd be a fun idea to go through our top five NBA players of all time, or that we grew up watching, not of all time, excuse me. Our favorites. Our favorites, yes, our favorites. So um, that was spurred on by the MJ documentary. You know, obviously MJ played against a lot of get played against a lot of great players in his time. Um, you know, you see the you saw last night the Cavaliers were featured with Darty and uh, Larry Nance and uh, Mark Price and all those guys and Craig Elo. And, um, you know, he played against Carl Malone and uh, Shaq and Kobe Bryant and everybody else. So it got me going. And, Chris, I think this is the hardest top five I've done yet. We've done a bunch of them. We've done, like, NBA ones. We've done Cavs ones. We've done general interest ones. I think this was the most difficult for me. Okay. This was this, pretty tough. There are so many people that I wanted to include on the list, and I, know, I apologize and I feel for them so for, bad for leaving yep. people out. I mean, it's crazy. But I'm going to make you start first because I think okay. I started first last time. Yes, you did. So I need to explain a couple of things. Okay. Number one – that's what this is for. Growing up, I was little. I was a little point guard when I played basketball. So you're probably going to see a theme with a majority of my picks based on likewise, that. Likewise. Okay. Got likewise. Got it. Yeah. So my number five is the one and only, the legend, Earl Boykins. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Do you remember that? Of course, man. What did he go to X? He's five foot five. Yeah. He's from the Cleveland area. Oh, he's he was a little right. point okay. guard who yeah, excelled. Yeah, did he go to Xavier? Uh, I don't think he went to Xavier. No, no he went to Eastern Michigan. Somebody went to Xavier, one of the little guys. Anyway, go on. And um, I met him a few different times, actually, oh, when cool. I was growing up. He signed a mini basketball for me. And I was thinking to myself, like, if this little point guard can go make it in the NBA – like me, a little point guard, very undersized. I was four foot ten as a freshman in high school at St. Ed's. It made me think, hey, I got a chance to try out for the team. I've got a chance to make the team. You know what I mean? So it's just you see somebody like that and you're thinking to yourself, maybe, possibly. He didn't win the genetic lottery and he still found a way. So maybe there's a chance that I can do it. No, I didn't. I got cut from the team. Yeah, but nonetheless, he was one of my favorites. I loved watching him play. All right. So I'm just going to I'm not going to tell I'm not going to preface it with any preface this and you'll just have to figure out the theme. Okay. All right. So my number five was Dirk. I Dirk growing up like I he was just different. He could shoot it from anywhere. He could. I love like that that move that, you know, he patented his own move. Kind of like everybody has their move. His move was the spin around, turn around Jay with his foot up in the air and like. I mean, yeah, I really wasn't into like the, you know, the, the hair and all that kind of, you know, Dirk stuff, but I just loved the way that he played the game and it was different. You know, he was a big guy, but he could shoot it. And, um, and like, he just was, he was understated. He wasn't super, you know, he wasn't a superstar in the sense that like he was all flashy and everything. He just went to work every day, did his job and, um, became one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And, you know, obviously a legend and will end up in the NBA hall of fame someday. And, I think when I first started, when I started, when I covered Dirk for the first time, I thought he was, he was very thin. I thought he was actually a little bigger than he was. Just maybe that was later in his career. He thinned out a little Mm -hmm. bit, but like, he seemed to like, he seemed to be very thin compared to what I thought. Like maybe he was a bigger guy, like had some body mass to him so he could push people around. But he was kind of one of the guys that I just, I grew up watching and I loved his game. So my number five was Dirk. That performance that he had in the NBA finals against the Miami. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Only only solidified it for me. Yeah, especially because at that time, so many people were Dallas Mavericks fans because they wanted to see LeBron and the Heat lose. So that performance, my God. 
God. They had no answers for him whatsoever. What a zone. Like, it got to the point where he started putting up shots, even if they were fadeaways, even if they were contested. I was thinking yeah. to myself, that's good. That's yeah. good. That's good. That's how great he was in that yeah. series. He, and he could shoot above any, like, he, it, it was, and it was, and it was never like, his shots never like hit the rim. And when it, it was just always like raindrops, like, yep. Boop. Just swish every. I mean, that's why he was swish. You know, swish forty one or forty one, whatever his um, Instagram and Twitter handle is. Because everything, just nothing but net. So my number four is Michael Jordan. Okay. Now I know this is hard because I am a Clevelander. I was born and raised in Cleveland, and a lot of um, Cavs fans probably had a hard time watching that last night because of some of the things that we talked about previously on the podcast. Um. But I was always somebody, Hayden, I don't know why I was like this. And I'm still to this day kind of like this. Even for opponents that play against teams that I root for. Um, and I do less rooting, open rooting now because sure, yeah. I'm a member of the media. Right. But when I was growing up, I was human. And I had my favorites just like everybody had their favorites. Yeah, for sure. But I was always able to see the brilliance and the greatness in individuals even when they were rivals to a team that I rooted for. Sure. So even though I grew up watching the Cavs and wearing Cavs gear and having all the jerseys, I could still see the brilliance of MJ and I could separate, um, I could separate that from my fandom for the Cavs when I was growing up. So MJ to me just captured my mind. Um, and he was, he was somebody that I tuned in to watch. Even when he was killing my team, it was it was a sight to behold. Oh yeah, I mean, we're we're not talking about this documentary for nothing. I mean, it's you know, it's not a ten part documentary documentary on ESPN for nothing. Like, he is the greatest. Well, he is the greatest to have ever retired. I know that. They arguably, arguably hate. Yeah, arguably, but I don't even go. know about that. I mean, you know, sometimes to some people it's inarguable. But yes, <laughs> arguably, obviously, arguably the greatest of all time. All right. My number four. <laughs> so I too, so though I did not grow up in Cleveland, um, obviously I had ties to the area. My grandfather and my mother were born and raised here. And, um, you know, my grandfather had me watching the Cavaliers since I was a little boy. So my number five was Dirk. My number four is going to be none other than uh, Zydrunas Elgowskis. Okay. <laughs> big Z. I mean, so you're getting the, the theme here is that like Big yes. Z was a big, was a big man. But not like a, you know, dominant, powerful big man. But he could, you know, he could step out and shoot from outside. He could grab you a rebound. He could get to the, he had touch. He had finesse. Like, he was not the first stretch big, but he was, like, getting there. You know what I mean? Like, he was getting to that point where where the stretch bigs were becoming a thing. And I think he developed as he, like, got older. And he, you know, he made that mid-range and he kept backing it up and backing it up a little bit. So, I loved how he could just, again, he he. Yes, he could post up and have his back to the basket, but also, you know, he could fire a shot up over somebody and, you know, bank it off the glass or from the, I love, I think it was like, I, I used to love, he just would hit this mid range from like, you know, 15, 18 feet, like right, right on the baseline. And it was good every time. And that's, I mean, that's kind of, as you can see that, that shot, that like mid range shot that Dirk had, the mid range shot that Zydrunas had, even though they weren't like, even though they were bigger players, like that was, uh, those were some of my favorites. So far, the theme to your list is skilled foreign bigs. Skilled foreign bigs, yes, thus far. It's going to change a little bit, but not okay. much. All right. My number three is Mark Price. Okay, love that. So there you go. Um, he was one of my favorites growing up. Had his jersey. I remember uh, I used to watch all of the three-point shootouts that he was involved in and just go nuts while watching those jumping up and down in my living room or whatever the case was. So he was on the team that I grew up rooting for, the Cavs. Um, I would argue that he was the best, most important player on those teams. And like me, he was a little point guard. There you go. Little point guards. <laughs> all right. So my my number three, um, I have, I do want to preface this one. So my grandfather my grandmother died when i was um uh how old was i I was five or six years old and my grandfather was you know he was we were super and we remained super close and 
Um, you know, he's kind of every the reason that I'm in Cleveland, the reason I, I got into sports and the reason that, you know, basically everything that I do. So he had he ended up kind of having they, they I guess you could call it a girlfriend, but it was more just a companion to to, you know, to go places with and to, to, to not be alone. But her name was Betty and she lived with my grandpa here in Cleveland and then they would come, you know, and visit in Florida. But she told me a story one time when she was living in South Carolina that she had a basketball hoop and this little boy, you know, who this little African-American boy would come over to her house and play on the hoop. And I was like, and I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? And then she's like, well, he got older and older and bigger and bigger and better and better. (laughs) And I was like, so who, like, she kept like giving me hints. And I'm like, who is it? Mm -hmm. She's like, well, his name was Kevin Garnett. And I was like, Oh my my God, that's crazy. So I, I ended up being a huge KG fan. Like, because again, a big, a skilled big, but like also had that tenacity, that killer oh. instinct. Like he, he was one of those guys that just was a, like, he was a badass. Like he was, yes. he would he was one of the biggest trash talkers in the game. If not the biggest trash talker in the game, like he could, I don't know. There was just something special about him. I didn't love that he went to Boston to be part of that team. I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, I loved him in Minnesota. I thought it was the coolest thing that he could like be that kind of a player and still lead a team. So KG, definitely my number three. I loved that, that number five with the, uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And obviously I still followed him um, when he was with the Celtics, but KG was a killer. Okay. My number two is Allen Iverson. Oh yeah. And I started watching him when he played at Georgetown, actually. My dad told me about him. I read about him. I'm trying to think. I was in grade school at that time, right about the time that I was getting into high school. And I remember, I remember actually one of the kids that I went to school with, and he tried out for the basketball team with me. He showed up to tryouts in an Allen Iverson jersey. And I was so jealous because he had an AI jersey and he showed up to (laughs) St. Ed's basketball tryouts in it. But but I loved him. I watched him for the year at Georgetown that I followed his career all the way through, had all the bobbleheads, eventually got my own jersey of his. And man, he was just unbelievable because he was a little bit undersized for the position. He took a beating and he kept driving to the basket and finishing over big guys. And he had the outside shot. And he had the handle. It was just, it was like playground basketball brought to the NBA. It was awesome. It really was. I think one of my favorite things about AI was that he was a quarterback in high school. Like, yeah, I would, I would have loved to have watched him play football, man. Like sneak, like running around, throwing it. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. But he was, I mean, just another guy that just a killer and man, what a, what a talent. All right. Mine. So my number two is kind of a different and the last two are kind of different. So like I had three skilled bigs. You could argue that this guy was about, you know, the maybe not skilled, but Shaq. I mean, just oh, the yeah. sheer size and dominance. Like I loved Shaq. I thought he like, I loved his charisma. I loved that he would like joke and laugh and like he, but he could also back you down and just throw dunks over you. You know, the iconic Shaq shots of him, like, you know, pulling the rim down and just getting all up in somebody's face. And I mean, when you when I watched him, it was just like, oh, my, like, you know, I wished he could pull, he could, you know, step out and take that, you know, that mid range jumper at sometimes. And obviously that never really came, but it didn't matter. He was just that athletic, that explosive. And like, you know how many like seven foot guys you see, they're just uncoordinated and kind of just not all there. And he just had every ounce of athletic, every ounce of athleticism, dominance. I mean, what a just special and um incredible player so were you a big man growing up yes okay so i was so right now i'm six what i'm six three but i i got up early i grew pretty pretty quickly okay so i was probably i was probably like six foot in like six six seventh grade oh i gotcha so i so yeah but i wasn't like and i wasn't yeah, I like I went through weight probably, like, you know, I think every kid gets like or sometimes, I don't know, chubby and then not chubby. So like yeah. once puberty hit, like I, you know, I, I could shoot though. Like I spent hours, I mean, I wasn't the best shooter. I wasn't like, you know, a sharpshooter, but like for for my size, I could step out and shoot it. Like because okay. I spent so many hours in my like in the hot Florida sun, like playing. I had when I was 
I don't remember how old I was, but when I got a basketball hoop, there has never been more use out of a driveway basketball hoop. <laughs> like I just played all day, every day, rain or shine. Like it was my thing. And yeah. man, so I ended up being able to shoot. And that's why I loved like the mid range game because everybody was like, that's, I remember my, one of my coaches telling me like, that's your game. Like, you know, like as some people shoot threes, some people get to the hoop, like, your game is kind of mid range to, to outer range. And mm. I know you're big, but you're like, I wasn't as power. Like I wasn't a Shaq player. Like I know that, you know, some people want, wanted to be like the dominant big man who like backs you down and just puts it up at the rim. And I got dominated by those people. Cause I wasn't that I was like more of a stretch guy who could, you know, pull out the Dirk shot, you know, with fading away and, and could hit an outside shot, but I could not, you know, I could not handle the bodies inside. I just wasn't that, I didn't have that strength. I didn't have that tenacity that all those guys had. So maybe that's why I wanted to be a little more like KG with that, you know, that fire in me to, to back somebody down. Yeah, I get that completely. It usually goes that way, though. Yeah. You know, if you're a smaller one, you kind of gravitate towards point guards. If you're a bigger one, you gravitate towards the bigs. Makes yeah. sense. I also loved and I want to do I do want to do some honorable mentions. Um, <laughs> the entire Pistons team. Chauncey Billups, Rasheed Wallace, Ben Rip Wallace, Hamilton, Hamilton Tayshaun yeah. Prince, loved all of them. Could not pick one favorite, and that's why I just did, left them off. But <laughs> I loved every one of those guys. I mean, yes, the Cavaliers played them, and and like they were, but they were so good. Yeah. All right, you're number one. Oh, it's Kobe. Everybody knows that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's the guy who left an indelible mark, and he fueled my basketball passion. I actually wrote a column for cleveland.com yeah, about it, Hayden, I remember it yep. shortly after he passed it's just i don't think i would love basketball the way that i do right now if it wasn't for kobe bryant um, yeah i don't think i would have loved it growing up if it wasn't for kobe bryant um yeah i played in my backyard i played for my grade school but it was just a different kind of passion that he instilled in me um and it all started here in cleveland when yeah. he was here for NBA All-Star Weekend, and I was there with my dad. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was there with cool. my dad, and he won the dunk contest. And I was thinking to myself, okay, as I follow along in the NBA, this is somebody that I can stay with. He's basically on the same timeline as me. I can watch the games. I can follow his career. And um, I did for the rest of his career, basically, till the yeah. very end. Uh, I was just looking for some player to kind of trail and emulate. Um, and if you think about it at that time, Price was done. Uh, yeah. Jordan was closer to the end than the beginning. Yeah. Um, I still had AI around that time. Yep. But Kobe was different, completely yep. different. It, it just, oh, man. Um, it's hard to talk about now, but, but yeah, he just. Obviously. I had the jerseys. I had the T-shirts. Every time I was in the backyard and I was taking shots at the buzzer, I was pretending that I was Kobe. So, did you have did you have crazy eights? I did not. So um, I do have two pairs. I have the Carpe Diems, and okay. I forget the other ones that I have. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's just so like I don't mean to like take. I I want people to take this sensitively because. It's like it's a shame to me that this coronavirus has kind of overshadowed that. Like, obviously, it's a huge it's, it's a huge story, and it's something that you know has affected so many people, and it and is you know tormented so many. And I my again, I have nothing but the best thoughts and wishes and prayers for the healthline work or the frontline workers. Uh, you know, our healthcare workers. My father isn't you know in a hospital every day. Um, you know, and I have nothing but the utmost sympathy for those who have lost, you know, loved ones. But I also feel like it's made the Kobe thing just so far in the past. Mm. And, it, and then, the, I mean, up to that point when he passed, I mean, that or when, when Kobe passed, that was maybe the biggest story in the last goodness. I don't know. Decade. Yeah. Maybe even longer than that. Yeah. And then this coronavirus thing comes, I mean, that's why 2020 has been such a miserable year. It's been terrible, but I mean, yeah, I'd it, say it, too it, many it, negative things um, from the standpoint of those moments where you know exactly where you were and what yeah. you were doing. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I'll never forget where I was when I saw, you know, the Kobe pass. I'll never forget where I was when they, they shut down the 
No, I'm sorry. I'll have to to edit that out. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, yeah, it's, I'll remember exactly where I was when, um, when Kobe passed, I'll remember exactly where I was when they, you know, when Mike DeWine shut down the bars and the restaurants and clean, like, I'll never forget that stuff. But so I do have to preface my number one. Okay. Um, Obviously, you know, as you mentioned, like, yes, we all had favorites growing up and it just so happened that, you know, I, I, I do take my job in journalism very seriously and I don't, I am not, you know, I think, I think actually people ask me all the time, like, oh, do you find yourself rooting because you grew right. up a fan? I said, no, right. I, I really don't. But when I was probably, okay, so let's think about it. When I was nine, eight or nine years old, my grandfather he would bring me articles from Cleveland. He would bring them down to Florida and, you know, sports pages or whatever. And one day he brought me down a sports illustrated and on the cover, it said the chosen one. And mm. I was like, who the hell, like what in that? Like, yeah. why do I care about some high school kid from Ohio? Like he's probably not even going to end up like, I don't know. Like, you know, it's just a high school player, like whatever. But then you saw him on TV and then my grandfather brings me up to Cleveland and takes me to the draft party in 2003. Yeah. And then like, it just, then it was basketball. Like that was it. Yep. Like, my first love was baseball. And it will always like, I always will always love baseball. always love football and basketball as well. I think they're all even playing, but for that portion of my life from like 2003 to 2013, it was basketball all the time. Like, and, and it was all LeBron. I mean, it was just the, the fact that, I couldn't believe that this kid came from like such a small community and such as like, you know, such a terrible upbringing, but he actually, and and not only that, he like, he took every obstacle in his way and overcame it. He took every negative piece of criticism. He took every expectation and he overcame every one of them. And like, again, it was just, you know, everybody in Miami where I grew near where I grew up was a huge Dwayne Wade fan. Mm -hmm. And, Dwayne, they were Dwayne Wade, you know, and I was the only kind of LeBron guy. So I felt like, you know, I just felt such a connection to him being in a different place. And, you know, it's so it's funny, like when I when I got into journalism, I thought, you know, you don't think about like, oh, I'm going to, you know, when you're going to cover LeBron, if you're going to cover LeBron. So, like, obviously, my it changed for me, you know, being in a professional environment. But I mean, when I was growing up, like. Every game I was, I would watch and I'd stay up till all the hours of the night, you know, I'd play with it, play as him in every video game, you know, take shots as him in my backyard. Like uh-huh. LeBron, LeBron was, I mean, that was the guy, of course. And did, your was, fandom take, did your fandom take a hit at all when he decided to leave Cleveland the way that he did? Um, so that <laughs> I was going to leave that out, but since you brought it up. No, I'm curious because yeah, I, no, I agree. Um, so yes, a hundred percent. Because, and it was, and for me, it was more that he went to Miami. And, and I know it's weird, but Mm -hmm. like, if he would have gone to Chicago, I'd have been like, all right, whatever. But it was, it was more so just because I was such a selfish little POS that (laughs) I thought like in my mind, and somewhere in this like weird way in my mind, it was like God punishing me that he would come right to my backyard. And then all my friends would now become LeBron fans. And it, it, the whole thing just, it, yeah, it sucked. I, I did like I as you get older, you get more mature and you obviously understand things. But when I was at the point where I was like a 16, I was a selfish, you know, I was like any yeah. dumb 16 no, I get it. kid. So, I mean, I just yeah, I was upset and I'll never forget. Like I wanted to I was like, Mom, just throw them all out. I don't care. Just throw out, <laughs> throw out everything. And she's like, are you serious? Like, don't be an idiot. Like she's hitting me upside of the back of the head. And thank God I listened to her. And thank yeah. God, like. Uh, that I was, you know, that she was an adult and I was a petulant little child. And um, your mom understands the definition of fan. That means you yeah. stick through and you stay loyal regardless right. of anything. Unless you, and, but, th- but that was the thing too. She, so she would ask me like, she would ask me when I was, you know, coming up and, and got the job at Cleveland.com and ended up, you know, kind of being able to, or even before Cleveland.com when I was with, you know, Scout and she was like, are you able to like not root for LeBron? I'm like, of course, I think. You actually do once you go through journalism school. Once you do kind of yeah. find your way around these people, you do it does get you know beaten out of you. But that said, you can still admire how great he is. Of course, I mean just and I, again, I think that's the argument for Jordan over LeBron or over LeBron over Jordan in the long term. 
is if he keeps doing this for another five, six, seven years, I mean, it'll be 25 years of just unbridled, unstopped greatness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, MJ played, I mean, God bless MJ for playing baseball and, and getting the rest that he needed. But, I mean, I mean, I don't know. If LeBron, LeBron already feels he's the greatest of all time. And if he wins another title and keeps going like this, I, I, it would be hard to argue against it. I think the first time I saw LeBron play, it was in high school. He was at St. Vincent St. Mary. It was during the playoffs, the, the high school basketball playoffs. Yeah. It was a doubleheader. St. Ed's against St. Ignatius was the second game. And I think St. Vincent St. Mary against Warrensville Heights was the first game. Yeah. And Warrensville Heights had a kid on the team named Ryan Powell. And he was a kid that I grew up playing against when okay. I was in grade school. And okay. he played at St. Ed's. Yeah. And then after St. Ed's, he went to Benedictine. And then from Benedictine, he went to Warrensville Heights. But him and I were close in high school. Um, we had gym class together. He played basketball with me. He invited me to his hood to go play ball with him as well. I wasn't able to go. My mom was too scared because of the neighborhood. Okay. Um, but I was there to see St. Ed's and I was there to see Ryan. And yeah. then I saw LeBron put on a show in pregame warmups. Yeah. And it was at Gund Arena at the time. Yeah. And he was doing all of these crazy athletic things. And then yeah. work kind of trickled into the stands that LeBron wasn't himself. And LeBron was a little bit under the weather. And yet okay. he was doing this, this incredible show in pregame warmups. And he might have ended with a triple-double or something wow. close to it. And I was just, I left that arena in complete awe. I had heard about him. All of the stories were out there. But that was my first time seeing him in person. And I was just like, oh, my God. Who yeah. is this dude? Because yeah. high school basketball, you've watched high school basketball. Oh, I watched it's a, a different level. Oh, and yeah. sometimes it can be tough. And guys don't always make shots. And sometimes there are missed layups and things along those lines. And this dude was just doing things like you would see an NBA player do. Yeah. And I think that I, I think it's all part of it is that, like, not only was he, you know, this great player, but like the story of it, like going to St. Vincent, St. or St. Vincent, St. Mary, being from Akron, yeah. coming to the Cavs. I mean, that's why I think the 2016 title was, you know, although I, you know, I didn't get to experience it as maybe a 12 year old Hayden would have experienced it. Yep. It was still amazing to see just because of the, again, just this, the story of it, you know, LeBron, right. just the fact that he came back and the whole, like, it's just, and as great as MJ was, his story was not as good as LeBron's story in that sense. Like in regards to, you know, coming you're having your hometown team coming back. I mean, and that's just it's it's really it really is crazy just the stuff of legends and i think it's cool too that you can tell a tw you can tell a story like that and you know a bunch of people that i know can tell you know a million stories about lebron james you know pl playing against their high school or yep. you know walking around their neighborhood or whatever i mean it's just you know and pe and i think that people knew him when he was 15 16 years old i'll never forget i there's an interview with as this little guy scooters by um <laughs> There's a there's an interview with Kirk Herbstreit before he made it to the big time. Uh, he was with 10 TV down there in Columbus and he was interviewing like a 15 year old LeBron. And it's just like the amount like the amount of like, just it went from that to just absolute. You know, he's the he's our, I don't know if he's an arguably probably the most famous athlete on the planet. I mean, that's I think you put it best when you said there's an admiration and an appreciation yes, for the things that course. LeBron can do. And you can still have that kind of feeling um, as a journalist, as somebody who has yeah. covered the team. You know, I, I have spent years covering the Cavs. I was put onto the Cavs beat when LeBron came back and they decided to expand their Cavs coverage at Cleveland.com. And I don't know that I will. Like my fandom for Kobe Bryant is going to be unmatched because right. when I grew up, I wasn't a journalist. I was yeah. just a basketball fan. Right. Um, but LeBron, LeBron's career intersected with a time that I was in the media. Yeah. Uh, and I can still say that I don't think I'm ever going to have a level of appreciation for what somebody has done um, More the so way that I yeah. do for LeBron. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing is that, like, I grew up, honestly, 
I grew up honestly very much disliking Kobe. Because, yeah. because no, I get that. I, because you were a LeBron stan. Yeah, I was a LeBron stan, and I loved Shaq. So I was like, well, you can't. Like, <laughs> like, it was yeah. both. It was a double whammy. It was like, right. well, I love Shaq. I'm team Shaq all the way. Kobe can go, you know. But then you grow up, and then you're like, oh, my God. Like, yes, like, I love this guy. Like, I mean, you don't. And the same thing with Dwayne Wade. I grew up hating Dwayne Wade. But then, but when you look back, and you become an adult, and you see things through a much clearer lens, you're like, man, I watched so much Dwayne Wade. I watched so much of his game growing up. Like, he was such an incredibly good player, and he put the city of Miami on his back, and he took the heat to places they would have never gone. I mean, Dwayne Wade is is definitely, if I had a favorite players now, like, just, you know, looking back on, he would definitely be in there. Yeah, I get that. 100%. But, yeah, I did did grow up hating Kobe, but um, obviously that changed, and... uh, Sure. I think one of the most one of the most disheartening things. I will tell you the story. Before I got to Cleveland.com, uh, you know, as you know, I was with Scout, and, and um, you know, they they limited locker room access, and that's I got it. And I was like, all right, I'm grow- I'm getting you know, I'm getting the opportunity to cover the team. I can't be, but so we we applied for credentials for the Lakers game, the last one that Kobe played in Cleveland, mm. and I was like, I was like, all right, like. I would love, obviously it would be crazy. It would be great to be there. And I didn't get credentialed. And I still, to this day, I'm like, I mean, after, you know, after all the games that I've, you know, have been fortunate enough to cover, I was just like, that, that would be the one that just sticks a grinds or sticks a, what what do you say? Puts a stick in your gear or something. I don't know. I have no idea what you're going for. Grinds your gears. Grinds your gears. That's right. Whatever. I don't think I ever heard puts puts a a stick stick in your gear, stick in your tire, something like that. So. I don't know. It, it that's that's the one that I that I'll always regret. But again, there's Aiden Grove, master of axioms, master of axioms for sure. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend that has a bunch of great ones. I need to talk to her. But um, all right, well, it's been fun reminiscing. We went way longer than we were supposed to. But I mean, when you talk about like some of your favorite, I mean, it's hard to like not get into that nostalgia mode. And I think people will enjoy kind of going back to their own memories of you know basketball years gone by. Another one of my um, honorable mentions, Yao Ming. Oh my gosh! Of course, I, I, I love Yao. I love Yao. <laughs> I mean, he was just so big and could see, and he wasn't like again, he wasn't a big guy who could, you know, ba- he wasn't so much a back you down guy. He was more of like a finesse guy. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I mean, that he's Yao. What are you gonna yeah, do? Yeah, I get it. All right, All right. so. Maybe because this is a long one, we won't do another one this week. Maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, Chris, thank you for joining me. Thank you for sharing your uh, life and your memory down basketball lane. That was pretty fun with uh, Earl Boinkins. I mean, EB, <laughs> of course. Of course. He was the, he was a source of inspiration for a lot of people that I grew up with. Hell just yeah. Because, yeah, just because of his size, really. And because he was from Cleveland. That was another thing that really True. resonated with me. True. Absolutely. That makes sense. All right, well, we'll be on the lookout for your pieces on Cleveland.com slash Cavs. I'm sure you'll have plenty coming up. Also, uh, be sure to sign up for our subtext. You can become a friend of the podcast by signing up for my subtext or for Chris's subtext. $3.99 a month, you get insider text from us. Um, Chris will be mostly Cavaliers, and mine are all over the place with the NFL draft coming up this week. So um, I'm, I know we'll both be watching that as well, another thing. But uh, Sunday, we'll certainly be on the lookout for the next two episodes of The Last Dance. I know we can't wait to watch that. And uh, Chris, it's a pleasure as always, my friend. All right, brother. All right, now we got to debate um, fantasy football or fantasy baseball. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Take care.